Hello and welcome to edition number 1856 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 18th of March 2021. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. Once again, it's been prepared from my home and we have two readers uh, remotely. We have um, Barbara Barringer and John Ashwell, who are participating from their homes. And our recording engineer this week is Graham Diacom. As usual, we have items taken mainly from the Whitney Gazette. And our first story is about a campaign for safer road crossings near a new supermarket on the fringe of Whitney. Uh, my first story is Call to End Danger of Shop Route. Calls for safer crossings near a new supermarket are being made by Green Party members. In November, Lidl opened its store in New Close Lane, Whitney, a few hundred metres away from its former premises in Ducklington Lane. The new shop is about one third bigger than its predecessor, but getting to it has been criticised by Green Party members. The West Oxfordshire branch described the store and a new Travel Lodge Hotel as welcome additions to the area but said the County Council had not made it easy for pedestrians, cyclists and mobility scooters to get there safely. A statement from the party read, Pathways and cycle lanes have been put in place, but these cross slip roads on to and off the A40, as well as the road coming off the A415 Ducklington Roundabout. There are no traffic light controlled or zebra crossings to the supermarket so pedestrians and cyclists have to dart across the road between the fast moving traffic. The route is also poorly signposted. The County Council has taken steps to slow the speed limit from 40 miles an hour to 30 miles an hour for traffic on the A415 either side of and including the roundabout. Green Party Councillor Andrew Prosser, who is Vice Chair of Whitney Town Council's Climate, Biodiversity and Planning Committee, said steps taken by the County Council were not sufficient and called for measures to make it safer for pedestrians. He said, the first time I walked to the new store, close to rush hour time, I didn't feel safe crossing the roads at all, as cars and lights zipped by in the dusk. It is better in the daylight, but I really do worry about the safety of those who can't cross quickly, such as anyone with a pushchair or limited mobility. If we want to reduce congestion, improve air quality and make it safer and easier for people to get about, then we need better than this. I'm calling on Oxfordshire County Council to complete the work properly and put in place safe crossings to the new store and hotel. The former little store closed on November the 4th and the new shop opening the next day. A spokesman for Oxfordshire County Council said a, a signalised crossing was not considered to be justifiable or appropriate. And next it's John with a story about a new bus service that has been launched in West Oxfordshire. Yes, this article is headed up Wheels on Bus Go Round the Town Connection. A new bus service linking a town centre with its outskirts has been officially launched in Carterton. In a socially distant ceremony, the keys were handed over by Town Mayor Nick Laverton and Deputy Mayor Jill Bull. The service links the north and south edges of the town with the centre via the two new routes, the 345 North Circular and the 355 South Circular. The Carterton Connector becomes the third route offered by West Oxfordshire Community Transport, WOCT, a not-for-profit cooperative formed in 2017. It follows Whitney Town Services and the 210 service which links Whitney to the Witchwoods. The two new Carterton routes, which are supported by Carterton Town Council, 
We'll begin at the Asda supermarket and will run hourly on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday mornings. The 345 route will depart on the hour from 9am to 1pm and the 355 at 35 minutes past the hour from 9.35 to 12.35pm. WOCT Director Margaret Burden said, After all the hard work put in by residents of the Carterton community and the support from Carterton Town Council, we are really excited that it is happening. Residents of Carterton, particularly those who do not have access to their own transport, will benefit from this route by linking them to essential services in Carterton Town Centre. Mayor Nick Leverton said, The new bus service will increase the mobility of our residents and will enable them to access our wide range of local shops and amenities, such as the library, local support groups, places of worship and the health centre. To save commuters, commuters waiting unnecessarily in the cold or rain, each day of the, uh, on the WOCT Facebook page, a tracking link is published for travellers to use and see exactly where their bus is. Users can access the live tracker on the WOCT Facebook page. My headline is XHS2 Boss Gives His Backing for the Whitney to Oxford Rail Link Plans. A senior University of Oxford figure has backed plans for a rail link between Whitney and Oxford. The Whitney Oxford Transport Group recently sent its proposals to the government for a Carterton to Whitney to Ensham to Oxford link. A survey of 771 respondents conducted between February the 22nd and March the 4th found 97% supported exploring the potential of restoring a railway line connecting the communities of Carterton, Whitney and Ensham with Oxford. Now David Prout, Provost Chancellor, Planning and Resources at the University of Oxford has given his backing to the plans. He said a significant proportion of the university's 15,000 staff live in West Oxfordshire and direct a direct rail connection from Carterton and Whitney would substantially improve accessibility to Oxford's employment and education opportunities. Restoring the rail links to Oxford would significantly reduce journey times and cut emissions of carbon, nitrous oxides and particulates associated with road transport on the A40, which suffers from chronic traffic congestion. The prospect of this rail link forming part of a future Oxfordshire Sustainable Transport Strategy is very exciting. His role at the University sees Dr Prout be responsible for institutional and strategic planning and resource allocation. Before taking up his post at the University, he was Director General for the High Speed 2 Railway Programme. 74% of those that took part in the Whitney Oxford Transport Group survey stated they were very likely to use the new rail link, a figure which delighted Charlie Maynard, the group's chair. He said, to get the number of participants we did that quickly is very unusual. The volume of comments saying we need this link is pretty empath emphatic. We never expected a figure as high as, seven, as 97% and I hope that decision makers take that on board. The A40 takes a long time to get to Oxford and that's the only way for people at the moment. So this would increase people's opportunities enormously. Under the group's proposals, the train between Carterton and Oxford would take 22 minutes compared to the current journey of more than an hour by bus. Uh, the next article is headed up Slithery Portraits Mark Crocodile Zoo's Decade. Wildlife attraction Crocodiles of the World has celebrated its 10th anniversary. There have been some sharp twists and turns in recent times but throughout its history it has been a much-loved Oxfordshire institution. The Bryce Norton site 
is the UK's only crocodile zoo and is home to more than 100 crocodiles plus many other reptiles, mammals and birds. Founder Sean Foggart first kept reptiles when he was 17, then sold his family home to fund the opening of the first centre at Crawley Mill back in 2011. Since then there have been relocation to Bryce Norton, business awards, school visits and one species becoming the first to hatch in the UK. The Covid pandemic has hit the coffers hard, with visitors unable to attend and the zoo becoming increasingly reliant on donations from the public. Despite this it has maintained its position as a pillar of the community, putting together educational videos in addition to crocodile themed worksheets and quizzes to help parents having to homeschool their children. Mr Foggett said, our achievements over the last 10 years have far exceeded all my expectations. I had a vision that I wanted to help facilitate crocodile conservation and educate the public about these incredible animals. Over the last 10 years we've had around half a million visitors including school, school visits and so we've, uh, we've sparked an interest in crocodiles, perhaps inspired crocodile keepers or conservationists of the future, then that is just incredible. In the last 12 months the zoo has been reliant on public donations. Mr Foggett said, although we suffered a lot of setbacks in the early days of the zoo, this last year has seen been the most challenging. It has wiped out almost all our reserves and setback plans, but I know we will find a way through. We couldn't have survived without all the, all the donations and support that we have received. We have an incredible team here at the zoo and I can't wait to be able to celebrate our 10th anniversary with both them and our visitors and I'm re really looking forward to the future. And now I've got a, a, well, a very interesting article. It's about a new surgery which is opened in Longhambra and there's a very nice photograph of it and it looks very smart. And it says GP's new surgery is given full treatment and robotic helper. A state-of-the-art GP surgery and pharmacy on a housing development at the edge of Longhambra has opened its doors to patients. Approximately twice the size of the old Longhambra surgery, which it replaces, it has six consulting rooms and a number of treatment rooms. It also features a pharmacy on the ground floor with a state-of-the-art robot to dispense medication efficiently. The complex was built using energy-efficient construction methods and includes modern offices and facilities for the staff, as well as a meeting room and ample outside parking for patients. The new surgery and pharmacy is significantly larger than our former site and has been designed to provide patients with a much better overall experience said Dr Neil Rust from the Ensham Medical Group. The additional space, consulting and treatment rooms, along with the automated dispensing services, new office space and meeting rooms will allow us to treat more patients more quickly and in much more welcoming surroundings, he added. The Managing Director of Developer Pi Homes, Blenheim, Graham Flint, said this is a first for us and we're extremely proud to be working with the NHS to create a modern and welcoming GP surgery. The building has a timber frame and features laminated internal beams which dramatically reduce the carbon footprint of the construction. It also has a very high rating on the energy performance certificate, just one point off an A rating. Architect Rob Fairfield worked closely with GPs from the Ensham Medical Group during the design and construction process. To streamline the ongoing COVID vaccination programme, he altered the surgery's design to allow patients to have their vaccine and leave without having to go through the reception. The team also had to reinforce the pharmacy floor to accommodate the one-tonne robot which automates the storage, dispensing, 
return, restocking and crediting of medications. Wow. The surgery called Willis Court forms part of the Hanborough Gate development. A total of 169 homes will be built here by the end of this year by Blenheim Estate Homes. The surgery will be officially opened once lockdown is relaxed. The next piece is headed up Imam chosen as county's next high sheriff. An Imam tutor and charity founder has been appointed as Oxfordshire's next high sheriff. Imam Monawar Hussein said he was thrilled to have been chosen at a ceremony at Buckingham Palace and will now succeed the current High Sheriff Amanda Ponsonby on April the 8th. The office is an independent non-political royal appointment made by the Queen and dates back to Saxon times but has evolved to include a mix of ceremonial charitable and community functions and is voluntary and unfunded. Supporting the Crown and Judiciary remained central elements. Mr Hussein is a Muslim chaplain at Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust, a tutor at Eton College and founded the Oxford Foundation, a charity that promotes religious and racial harmony through educational and arts activities. He has also devised, pioneered and steered a programme that confronts violent extremist ideology, which has been used to train religious education teachers. Mr Hussein said, This is a huge honour, and I am thrilled to have been appointed by Her Majesty, the Queen, to a role which dates back nearly 1,300 years. Although I won't be invoking age-old powers to tackle lawlessness or raise taxes, I will be seeking to support the judiciary, the police, emergency services and all our communities of faith or no faith in the county. Okay, this one's about whiskey. We Dram wears heritage on arty sleeve. A husband and wife team is bringing an ancestor's history in Scotch whiskey distillery back to life. Rupert Patrick revived the blending and bottling business of his great-great-grandfather, 19th century brewer James Eady, in 2016. James Eady Limited bought one of Scotland's first trademarked Scotch whiskies to the UK and international markets. James Eady's trademark, X, was registered in 1877. The X signified Cross Street, the address of the Eady Brewery in Burton-upon-Trent in Staffordshire. Eady's whisky was widely distributed, most notably in over 200 pubs that belonged to the company. This year, Mr Patrick, who is a liveryman of the Worshipful Company of Distillers and a keeper of the Quaish, decided he wanted to celebrate the great British pubs that were closed in lockdown. He realised that many of his forebears pubs' names would work beautifully as images for a new set of labels, and he knew just the person to illustrate them. Mr Patrick, who lived in Scotland for many years before moving to Spelsbury five years ago, is married to leading wildlife artist Annabelle Pope. Her work includes commissions for fashion company Ralph Lauren, Africa Conservation Charity Tusk and Lua Wildlife Conservancy in northern Kenya. Now four of his single malt scotch whiskies, the Blue Boar, Red Lion, Black Swan and the Oak, will each have a label bearing an original image inspired by one of Edie's 19th century pubs created by Miss Pope. The nine and ten year old whiskies costing between £38 and £46 a bottle, will be available at 40 independent wine and spirits shops, with a strong whisky customer base from April. Mr Patrick said Annabelle's skill is her consistent ability to deliver, to deliver works which, on the one hand, show remarkable technical quality and visual integrity, while at the same time conveying great character, spirit and energy to the observer. James Eady's whiskies are now distributed in the UK 
and 10 export markets. Mr Patrick, who followed all his family into the industry, has held senior roles, roles at many distilleries as well as global beer and spirits company Diageo, promoting the world's leading Scotch whisky, Johnny Walker, in Africa. He said of the labels, this is a very visual way of celebrating the great British pub and bringing Edith's history back to life. And we will be delighted as anyone when our pubs are open again. And there's a picture of him and his wife and two of the pictures that they are going to use. And now we have three um, brief items. The first one, a rather horrific story, assault on a young boy live streamed online. An assault on a young boy has been live-streamed and shared by people on social media. Thames Valley Police is now trying to identify the people involved in the incident, which happened at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon in Yarnton. Officers from the Priority Crime Team were in contact with the victim and family to offer support. In a statement shared on Facebook, the force urged people not to share the footage. Contact police on 101, quoting crime reference number 432-101-06712. And now we have a, a more cheerful article. Blenheim Gardens open. The gardens at Blenheim Palace reopened at the weekend. The public can access the gardens and car parks, although the palace itself remains closed. Ticket checks have been brought back into the park and pre-booking is deemed essential, including for the annual pass holders. The palace is asking visitors to respect local communities, colleagues and each other, and only travel if they live locally. Visitors must arrive on time and follow all government regulations with regard to COVID-19. And finally, finally these three, backing for vaccination. UK leaders and medical experts have defended the use of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine amid multiple European countries pausing its use due to blood clot concerns. Boris Johnson said there was no reason at all to stop the vaccine rollout and Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon said she would accept her job without hesitation when called on. Wedding sector forgotten in virus support funding. A wedding cake maker says her industry has had little support from the government during the coronavirus pandemic. Samantha Tempest runs Mr. Lovell's The Pretty Cake Company, where she bakes luxury cakes for couples. Usually business is steady, with customers spending hundreds on their cake and sweet treats for their big day. But with ceremonies, curtail, sorry, with ceremonies curtailed, Miss Tempest's clients cancelled or postponed. The cake maker feels there has been a lack of support from the government for businesses like hers. She said many firms like hers had not been eligible for support through the furlough scheme and the self-employed income support scheme. She added, once restrictions ease, we will be immediately contributing, and hopefully contributing well, back to a decimated economy. But I do feel that people won't easily forget how little industry-specific support was given throughout the pandemic. Miss Tempest sold hampers of biscuits, cakes and macaroons for Christmas, Valentine's Day and Mother's Day to keep her business afloat. However, after the Prime Minister announced all restrictions on weddings would be lifted from June the 21st, she was inundated with inquiries. She said some couples for late June are wanting to postpone again as they don't want to risk all restrictions not being lifted and others are bringing their wedding forward. Teams with couples whose original suppliers can no longer do their new dates and need to find new suppliers and new inquiries for couples who are just now starting their wedding planning journey. The diary is quite, is quite chaotic. Ruby celebrates real gem of a 100th birthday. 
A retired head teacher celebrated her 100th birthday as at her care home helped organize a video message from her former school. Ruby Riches, a resident at Rosebank Care Home in Bampton, marked the milestone with a special day despite lockdown restrictions. She received gifts, telephone calls and the all-important card of congratulations from the Queen. The staff counted more than 100 cards. Miss Riches, a former head teacher at Clanfield CE Primary School, received a video message from the school's current head, Kim Rogers, wishing her a happy birth birthday while the children also created um, a presentation filled with videos and pictures in celebration of Miss Riches' special birthday. She was overjoyed by the community's efforts and said, I have been thoroughly spoilt by everyone. I have enjoyed my day enormously. A visit in the family hub was arranged with her dearest friend Elizabeth Martin, who helped organise the community to mark the, Saints, sorry, the Centenarians' Day. Rosebank Care Home Manager Vanessa Lavender added, It was a joyous occasion and we are extremely grateful to Elizabeth and our amazing Bampton community, which has shown so much kindness and love towards Ruby on her 100th birthday. And there's a photograph of the aforementioned Ruby um, sitting in a chair, clutching her card from Her Majesty. And I have to say, looking rather pleased with herself. Sanctioned architect loses home plan fight. An architect removed from his professional register has had plans for a two-bedroom house knocked back following an appeal. Whitney architect Anthony Petrino was erased from the register in January 2020 over unacceptable conduct. Allegations were made against Mr Petrino relating to a renovation and extension at a property in Oxford. Now though, an appeal to allow him to build a two-bedroom house in the rear garden of an address in Park Street, Woodstock, has been dismissed by the planning inspectorate. A planning inspector visited the site on February the 9th, with the decision made to dismiss the appeal later in the month. The main issues listed by the inspector were the effect of the proposal on the significance of the Grade 2 listed building, the effect of the proposal on the living conditions of neighbours with particular regard to daylight outlook and privacy, and whether the proposed parking was adequate. West Oxfordshire District Council had initially refused the application in September 2020, saying the proposed development would not be of a proportionate and appropriate scale to its context and would fail to respect the historic curtilage of the site and character of the conservation area and setting of the listed building. The Council's refusal added the proposal would harm the enjoyment of adjoining residential properties and will provide inadequate off-street parking where the roads are narrow and congested. Woodstock Town Council was also against plans for the house, outlining that 600 new properties were already planned for the town, so there was no housing need for the development. The council added the proposal was an unnecessary additional dwelling in the garden of a listed building. Last year, a hearing of the Architects Registration Board's Professional Conduct Committee heard that Mr Petterino had been instructed to design and contract manage the renovation of a client's property. Mr Petterino admitted allegations that he'd not have adequate and appropriate insurance in place to meet a claim and had not provided an effective service and or worked to fit the brief in a timely manner. Covid cases lead to closures as students return to class. Schools are reporting closures due to positive cases of Covid-19 after pupils returned to the classroom last week. Throughout 2021, students with the exception of the children of key workers and vulnerable pupils have learnt remotely with their return, the first step in Prime Minister Boris Johnson's roadmap 
out of lockdown. However, for some pupils in the county, the return has been short-lived, with positive cases causing disruption. Partial closures have been reported at St John the Evangelist CE Primary School Carterton and Queen Emma's Primary School Whitney. The reopening of schools came with a stark message from Oxfordshire County Council's Director of Public Health, Ansaf Azhar. He said, seeing young people finally able to return to school is an incredibly reassuring first step. It's been clear that the pandemic has had a tremendous impact on young people, with both their mental well-being and their learning impacted by not being at school. Although there are now additional steps in place to protect teachers, other school staff, young people and their families, such as testing, I must remind residents that it is inevitable that, with schools going back, it is likely that we will see a small spike in cases once more. If we let our guard down now, it could be all too easy for cases to rise sharply once more, as we saw back in the autumn. A third wave is still possible if we let our guard down too soon. With vaccinations continuing at such speed, we are so close now and we can all do our bit to get us over that line. Barbara and John will be back with a few more stories soon, but now it's the editor's choice of articles. This week I drove to Bristol to collect my son from university. It's a return journey of about 160 miles from where I live in West Oxfordshire. I didn't get out of the car at either end, so I was reasonably happy that I, it was a COVID safe journey. What struck me for mile after mile of the journey was the amount of discarded rubbish littering the roadsides. A few days before this, while driving along the Whitney Bypass, I noticed clumps of men in high-vis jackets filling black garbage bags with all manner of discarded bottles, cans, food wrappers and much more besides. Now, it has been very windy of late, which may have contributed to the amount of rubbish in evidence. But it also underlined for me that litter is now a national problem that needs government intervention. Perhaps it could start by improving awareness or even perhaps funding of the Keep Britain Tidy campaign, which I was very much aware of when I was growing up and which was first launched, thanks largely to the efforts of the WI, back in 1954. Not surprisingly then, my eye was drawn to a report this week about this modern scourge by Greenpeace and the CPRE, which is the Countryside Charity. Their research found that more than 8 billion drinks containers were discarded or wasted across the UK in 2019. They weren't necessarily dropped as litter, but discarded you know, into bins and ultimately, I suppose, ending up in, as landfill, etc. The campaign groups between them are lobbying the government to introduce a deposit return scheme for drinks containers as the data shows that vast numbers made from glass, plastic, metal and board are being put in landfill, incinerated or simply littered. Interestingly, the report says that the UK situation is in stark contrast to Germany, which now has an efficient deposit return scheme that includes both single-use and refillable containers. The result is that in Germany they have an average annual per person wastage figure of about 21 units, as they're called, i.e. a bottle or a container, against in the so that's 21, against in the UK 126 per person, so six times as many in the UK. And of the empty containers wasted in the UK, 40% are plastic bottles, just under a third are cans, and 18% are glass. The report concludes with a plea to individuals and communities to get involved with this year's Great British Spring Clean, which is scheduled to take place from May 28th to June the 13th. It's a bit later this year for, I guess, obvious reasons. Where I live in the West Oxfordshire village of Coombe, we are, as usual, organising a community event to clear our footpaths and hedgerows of rubbish. 
while I hope many people will turn out to help, the ambition is that it will be the last time we need to do it and that next year people will stop leaving their rubbish behind when they visit the countryside. Slim chance, I know. And next, it's our weekly quiz. First, the questions and answers which were set for you last week. Question one was, which TV family owned a pet dragon called Spot? And the answer to that one is the Munsters. Question two was, how many bottles of champagne are there in a Jeroboam? And the answer was four. Third question, Appaloosa and Falabella are both breeds of which animal? And the answer is horse. Fourth question, what is the state capital of West Virginia that gave its name to a dance? The answer to that is the state capital is Charleston. And of course, Charleston's a dance too. Final question from last week, from which city was the Titanic launched? And there's, a, there's an answer here, which is Belfast, which corresponds, of course, with uh, a museum that's opened there in Belfast that's well worth seeing. And uh, hopefully one day when things are different, we might be able to get across there. And now to this week's questions. What name is given to a group of bats? So flying bats rather than cricket bats. What name is given to a group of bats? Second question, what name is given to a baby rabbit? And question three, another animal. What do you call a group of jellyfish? I.e., What is the collective noun for a group of jellyfish? Fourth question. Which UK city is credited for being the home of the meat-free diet? I guess a town or city full of veg vegetarians and vegans, maybe. And what colour, finally, the last question, what colour is a giraffe's tongue? So there we are. Those are the five questions. You'll get the answers uh, in next week's programme. Now to our notice board. Um, there are no listeners with birthdays to celebrate this week. The following deaths were announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. Betty Treeweek, originally from Milton under Witchwood, died on the 26th of February, aged 95. Betty lived for more than 60 years in the family home on Wood Green in Whitney. She was known to many as a member and late, later chairman of the Windrush Flower Club from its inception in 1954. Michael Ashby, known as Mick or Ben to some, from Ducklington, died on the 6th of March, aged 82. Also on the 6th of March, Jean Collier of Carterton died. She was 90. John Lovejoy died on the 9th of March, aged 83. And Jean Wilkerson, nay Godfrey, died on the 11th of March, aged 84. Our condolences to family and friends. For the first time in a while this week, the Whitney Gazette has a page of sport, which I guess uh, heralds um, the country getting a little bit closer to uh, unlocking uh, recreation facilities. Um, I would have brought you an item or two from there, but frankly, they were really related to uh, Oxford United uh, and some golfers from somewhere other than West Oxfordshire. So we'll, we'll let that one go. Sports back though. Now to finish off, we have another round of a few more items um, from Barbara and from John. Okay, the headline is childcare worker rebuilds her life by training as a plasterer. When Sarah Roberts suffered a pulmonary embolism and pneumonia, 
After the birth of her first child, she decided to change her career and get plastered. Mrs Roberts, 34, of Carterton, had 15 years' experience in childcare and was manager of a preschool and holiday club when she suffered a dangerous blocked blood vessel in her lungs. She said, I spent a week at the John Radcliffe Hospital. I was on oxygen for a duration of four days as my breathing wasn't very good. I was treated with various medications to start with and put back in the maternity unit. But I was deteriorating and I was transferred to the specialist on the main unit. The experience had a huge impact on her health and outlook. She said, after having three children, I decided that childcare wasn't for me anymore. I couldn't look after other children while my children were being cared for by others. With COVID around and being a stay-at-home mum, I wanted to change careers. I understood the importance of communication and customer service. And with my husband being a, being a plasterer for a local company, I wanted to combine our skills. Husband David, 30, who was furloughed last year, was rethinking his future too. Mrs Roberts said, after working for 10 years for a local firm, the worries of COVID, not spending enough family time and being furloughed, we didn't want to be negative anymore, so we decided to become self-employed. The couple set up Roberts Plastering and Mrs Roberts embarked on damp proofing training. She said, we had spent 2020 stuck in a rut with the uncertainty of Covid, furlough and money worries and I started training and also followed all of David's work, asking him many questions. Mrs Roberts has had a go at skimming, removing coving, sanding and filling holes and mist coating. She said, I have recently stopped my medication. I'm able to lift plaster, but just do get out of breath easily. So that's a nice change of career. After a, after a long lockdown winter with Netflix fatigue setting in, many of us are desperate for the return of the big screen cinema. And just in time, the hugely popular Lunar Drive-In Cinema is coming back to Blenheim Palace for the spring. With the government roadmap in place, film buffs will once again be able to enjoy new and classic moves in a socially, sorry, movies in a socially distanced 1950s style setting. The films will be shown on some of the country's highest definition outdoor screens, accompanied by in-car digital sound and each car having its own wireless speaker. There is no need to have the car radio running and risk draining the battery. There is also a new click and collect food and drink service with items ordered from the car on a smartphone and collected at socially distanced food points. The Blenheim Palace season starts on May the 6th with a single screening seven nights a week. The lineup includes popular classics such as Dirty Dancing, Grease and Jaws, the musical The Greatest Showman as well as Star Wars A New Hope. They are also showing the 25-year anniversary release of Romeo and Juliet. Newer movies including Bohemian Rhapsody, the foot-stomping celebration of Queen and frontman Freddie Mercury and Rocketman, a musical fantasy about the breakthrough years of Elton John's long pop career. Tickets at £32.50 per car are on sale on the website now. A Golden Circle ticket at £47.50 guarantees parking within the first three rows. The Lunar Cinema pivoted to a drive-in format in response to the pandemic in 2020, attracting nearly a quarter of a million filmgoers across the year, with 179,000 in summer alone. Founder of the London-based company George Wood, said the move to drive-in cinema in 2020 was a revelation for us after staying away from the format for the previous 12 years. The socially distanced element was a given 
but the level of audience enjoyment and communal sense of being part of an uh, of an event uh, marrying 1950s American nostalgia with 21st century technology took us all by surprise. Last year, a hugely successful three-day car park party of cinema, comedy and karaoke also took place in Henley. Mr Wood added, People clearly loved the experience and it wasn't just the novelty of getting out of the house. Artist Freud in pop-up display of dog pictures. As an artist, David Freud has impeccable pedigree. His father, Lucian, was one of the greatest portraitists of the 20th century and was grandson of the psychologist Sigmund Freud. But with his father absent for much of his life, it was David's mother, Kay McAdam, who inspired him and his three siblings to take their first steps as an artist. My mother was a wonderful artist who'd painted backdrops in churches whilst in Catholic boarding schools and made dresses for West End Theatre after St Martin's School of Art, where she met my father Lucian, says the artist, who has installed an exhibition of his work at Woodstock's Danzig Gallery as part of its series of pop-up shows. She said she hadn't wanted children and left Lucian and didn't let him know where we were because it seemed like the only way to prevent her from having a fifth child. The four of us are all accomplished artists. Each one's success benefits each other. It's difficult to come out from the shadows of Lucian's enormous fame and I never expected it, but it's happening. He admits there are disadvantages to sharing the name of a, of a towering figure. Some people see the name and make all sorts of impressions that are nothing to do with me. It gets me noticed, which isn't something I always want, but it is useful now as I'm not sure if you'd be interviewing me or if my work would be such an obvious financial investment if I wasn't a Freud. David's exhibition is the second in Danzig's series of pop-up Woodstock window shows designed by gallery owner Mark West to brighten up the town for people out taking exercise while giving a platform to artists while the gallery is shut. The gallery can't be open, but the bills still need to be paid. Danzig has become a little hub of culture and community, and I'm very happy to help people, people support it. The show is titled That Doggy in the Woodstock Window. It takes its cue from all things canine. David's, David is a huge dog fan, the family having kept them at the Maisonette on the council estate where they moved after her mother left Lucian. I offered landscapes or dogs as the theme for this exhibition, he says. These are the two subjects closest to my heart. And the website is the Tan Danzig Gallery. It's at 1 Market Street, Woodstock. And the um, website is gallery at Danzig, which is D-A-N-T-Z-I-G dot U-K. Cleaner Green Zoe becomes Council's first all-electric car. A council has welcomed its latest addition, Zoe, the electric car. The Renault Zoe R135 Iconic becomes West Oxfordshire District Council's first all-electric vehicle. The car will be used by Ubico, WODC's Environmental Services Contractor. Ian Borton, Head of Fleet Operations at Ubico, said, For the type of mileage that Zoe will be doing, electric vehicles are now considered the best environmental options. They have zero exhaust emissions, so contribute to better air quality, and analysis of the full life cycle consistently shows that the battery electric vehicles, such as the new Zoe, um, emit less carbon dioxide over their lifetime than diesel and petrol cars. An electric road sweeper is also set to join Zoe in the summer.
Well, that completes this edition. Our thanks go to the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used this week. And my special thanks go to our recording engineer, Graham Diacon. And thank you also to our readers this week, Barbara Barringer and John Ashwell. Keep listening at the end of our programme for an info sound item, which gives some highlights of this week's forthcoming best radio listening. I know everyone at Talking News would like to wish you well, and on their behalf until our next edition, I'll say goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, March 20th. On Radio 4 at 3pm, the drama is Tango Stories, vignettes exploring why tango is such an obsession and way of life for some people. On Radio 4 Extra at 4, there's Stamble Train, a dramatisation of Graham Greene's tense 1932 thriller set aboard the Orient Express. The Opera on 3 at 6.30pm is a performance of Bizet's Carmen, recorded in autumn 2014 at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York. Back to Radio 4 at 8pm for the Forgotten Referendum, looking back at the 2011 Alternative Vote Referendum, concerning whether to replace the the first-past-the-post system with the AV method in general elections. The presenter discovers how much the 2011 campaign can teach us about the EU referendum held five years later. Finally on Saturday, Radio 2, 9pm, when In My Life in a Mixtape, the South African dancer and two-time Strictly Come Dancing champion Oti Mabusi introduces some of her favourite tracks from childhood to the present day. On to Sunday, March 21st, in Desert Island Discs, on Radio 4 at 11am, Lauren Laverne's guest is novelist Maggie O'Farrell. Just after midday, still on Radio 4, the panel in just a minute is Paul Merton, Shappi Corsani, Julian Clary and Pam Ayres. Radio 4 at 4.30, Ways to Weather the Storm. In the Calder Valley, poet Claire Shaw asks what it means to live with the inevitability of severe flooding and why this part of England continues to be loved by its communities. Radio 3 at 7.30, Drama on 3, brings us the meaning of Zong, about the notorious massacre aboard the slave ship Zong and how uncovering its story galvanised the growing abolitionist movement in the UK. Turning to Classic FM, at 9pm, Julian Lloyd Webber's Rising Stars continues its showcase of the very best musicians under the age of 30. So, on to the programmes which are broadcast at the same time every day from Monday to Friday. Same radio station, same time, every day, Monday to Friday. At 9.45 on Radio 4 and repeated at half past midnight each day, the book of the week is 1, 2, 3, 4, The Beatles in Time. Drawing on interviews, diaries, anecdotes, memoirs and gossip, Craig Brown presents a series of kaleidoscope glimpses of the Fab Four. The 15-minute drama at 10.45 on Radio 4 is Meet Me at the Museum by Anne Youngson. When Tina writes to Danish museum curator Professor Glob, whom she'd last written to as a schoolgirl 50 years earlier, she doesn't necessarily expect a reply. When lonely museum curator Anders Larsen responds, neither does he. Radio 3 at 12 noon, the composer of the week is Maurice Ravel. And just after midday on Radio 4, and again repeated each night at 10.45, you can hear White Fang, Jack London's 1906 novel about the wolf dog's journeys through the Yukon and the Northwest Territories during the 1890s Klondike Gold Rush. On Radio 4 Extra at 1pm and repeated at 8pm, you can hear stories by E.W. Hornung on the Victorian gentleman thief Raffles. Finally, 10.45, every day, Monday to Friday, all week, Radio 3, the SA, Blood and Bronze, focuses on the life of the charismatic yet dangerous Renaissance character, Benvenuto Cellini. 
onto those individual programmes then that you might want to listen to. Monday, March 22nd, Radio 4 at 2.15 in the afternoon, After Play. A two-hander play by Brian Friel in the Radio Times Choice of the Week. In a down-at-heel Moscow cafe in the 1920s, a chance encounter leads a man and woman into a conversation during which the contours of their lives are gradually revealed. But are they being wholly honest with each other? Alex Jennings and Janie D star. At 3pm, still on Radio 4, Round Britain Quiz, in which this week teams from the Midlands and Scotland answer the cryptic questions. Also on Radio 4 at 8pm in the series Out of the Ordinary, this week Holy Relics explores the sale of Christian religious relics, both firmly bogus and supposedly genuine, a trade that has picked up pace online to the fury of traditional Catholics. Tuesday, March 23rd, at 11.30 on Radio 4, you can hear the second part of Laura Barton's Notes on Music, this week entitled Happy Sad, in which the music writer considers the appeal of sad music. The programme includes a conversation with Sheku Kanu Mason about the cello's plaintive tone. Radio 4, 2.15, another pick of the week is the drama Devoted, Ray Connolly's play about the six months he spent in hospital with Covid-19 during 2020. For much of that time, he was in a coma, and the play mixes his wife Plum's bulletins on his condition to their children, with Ray's often hallucinatory dreams and visions. The play stars Philip Jackson and Alison Steadman as Ray and Plum. On the BBC World Service at five past three, People Fixing the World is the story of how architect Barbara Busa seeks to construct entirely new buildings by reusing materials from ones that have been knocked down. And at 8pm, the Classic FM concert with John Suchet. Works by Rossini, Schubert, Mendelssohn, Suk, Kreiser and Devine. On Radio 4 at 9.30 to start Wednesday, March 24th, is the first part of a new series called Chinese Characters, which will explore Chinese history through the life stories of 20 key figures. Today's programme looks at Tang Dynasty ruler Wu Zetian, the only woman ever to rule as China's emperor in her own right. Choral Evensong at 3.30 on Radio 3 was recorded in March 2016 from Wells Cathedral. 5pm, Radio 4 Extra. There's a first of four parts of Tickets, Please, Mark Meyer's comedy in which a wedding night en route to Exeter is delayed by a car on the track. Radio 4 at 8.45pm for this week's Lent talk called No Greater Love. French gendarme Arnold Baldfram was killed three years ago by an ISIS gunman in a supermarket after taking the place of a hostage. On the third anniversary of his death, the Reverend Dr Lucy Winkert tells his story with reflections from his widow, Marielle. Lastly on Radio 3 at 10pm, in the Free Thinking series, Matthew Sweet leads a discussion on simple pleasures, whether cooking, eating or a walk in nature. Thursday, March 25th, Radio 4, 11am. From our own correspondent, Kate Aidy presents reports from around the world. 11.45 on Radio 4 Extra and then repeated at 9.45 in the evening, David Attenborough's Life Stories looks at the life of the Kiwi. To Radio 4 at 2.15, for again, Radio Times, Pick of the Day, a drama called The Performer by William Humble. Stephen Fry performs this monologue about a family pulled apart by the disappearance of their father from their suburban home in Carlsholton Beaches, South London, in the 1960s. Matthew recalls his father's love of the theatre, particularly Laurence Olivier. When one day he disappears, he suspects this could have something to do with it. The drama concludes at the same time tomorrow, Friday. It's followed at 3pm back on Thursday on Radio 4 by Ramblings called Stained Glass in Minsmere in which the glass artist Arabella Marshall takes Claire Balding for a walk on the RSPB reserve Minsmere in Suffolk. The bottom line on Radio 4 at 8.30 this week asks should billionaires stick to business? Should we be relying on tech billionaires to lead the way where governments have left a gap? Are individuals like Bill Gates, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos following in the footsteps of early 20th century magnets, or are they just a new class of robber barons? 
On to Friday then, March 26th, the end of another week, nearly the end of another month. Beginning with the second part of The Performer, starring Stephen Fry at 2.15 on Radio 4. At 3.45, also on Radio 4, there's a short story called An American Fridge by Mike Heron. A man is tempted by a luxury apartment with a top-of-the-range kitchen. However, there's a high price to pay for his glamorous new life. Some nostalgic comedy on Radio 4 Extra at 12 noon. Repeated at 7pm, an episode of Dad's Army, adapted from the original TV scripts. There's nostalgia of a different kind on Radio 2 at 7pm. Tony Blackburn's golden hour, his pick of pop and soul oldies across the decades, including Tina Turner and Buddy Holly, among others. And we'll end this week with some thought-provoking discussion. Any questions at 8pm on Radio 4 the political forum in which a virtual audience canvasses the opinions of four leading figures. As ever, we wish you a very peaceful week, a healthy week, and we hope you enjoy your radio listening week. DNF Soundings 